Hello and welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. I thought we changed that to smart people. Yeah, I know. All the men are really angry that we don't acknowledge them in our opening line. So for smart people who love dumb stuff. Men, you are always welcome. Coming up, how Kayla Itzina has built a $400 million empire despite the controversies that shadow her fiancé. Plus, the influencers who preach career advice in books and why are women so obsessed with true crime. But first, Zara, how was your week? Week was good. I saw A Star Is Born last night. Okay, I am dying because everyone on the planet seems to have already seen this film, except for me. I'm going with Mitch uh, in a couple of nights' time, and I'm dying to see it. I can't remember a time where people were so bonded over a single film. Although I'm not, I'm not someone who's necessarily inclined to go to the movies or be that invested in movies or films. But I did feel a responsibility to see this one. Did you cry? Uh, I cried, yes. Ooh, it takes a lot to make but you cry. But I have to... <laughs> Stone cold. Um, I was annoyed because my boyfriend and I have this really stupid habit of trying to guess the ending of the movie within three minutes. And he, about two and a half minutes in, just turned around to me and sort of penned out the entire plot line. And I couldn't work out if he'd Googled the plot Damn line before. Matt. And then the more the movie went on, I was like, yeah, he's right. Like he's absolutely, you know, when you can just see it all coming. Yeah. Anyway, it was such a good movie. Bradley Cooper is astounding. Gaga was great for someone who's never acted before, but Bradley Cooper honestly blew, blew me away in, in a sense that I don't know if I can distinguish the actor from the character now at yeah, all. Like well, whenever I see him, I'm going to think of the character. How interesting. He trained for three years vocally to be able to yes. sing that well. For months, he, he taught himself guitar. I think what also gets me, and this is going to sound a bit silly, I'm always blown away by the logistics of filming movies as I'm watching them. And I know that sounds like a very strange thing to say, but they're recording in music festivals. So they filmed at Glastonbury. They filmed at uh, in between Coachella. And as someone who's been in an extra of television series, it's a slow process. Hang on. Did you just drop that yeah, you're an I extra should... on a high profile television? Wait, I didn't know this. Yeah. What? What were you on? For about two seconds. What? All my friends did it. Of course I've told you this. Jamae Private School Girl. What? Of course. I did not know that. You couldn't see me in any of the camera scenes. But all I'm saying is the logistics of that were very tiring. It was the most exhausting day of my life or two. It was so boring. And all I'm thinking about as they're performing these, I love how I'm trying to tell this story just by plugging myself through <laughs> it. Um, all I was thinking about as they were performing these huge sets is how they managed to keep a crowd in order. I feel like this is a big moment for the Shameless podcast. You're a TV star. I know. It's a celebrity podcast hosted by a celebrity. Were you a schoolgirl? <laughs> what were you doing? Did you meet Chris Lilly? Well, every, well, no, we were in the same room, but that doesn't count. So it was filmed at my old school and I was like a year um, out and they needed extras. So everyone, we all had our old school dresses and stuff. Oh my God. So we just put it on. Nice. But super boring day is all I'm saying. And you're not in any of the shots because I will well, go looking. There is. Oh my God, stop. <laughs> there's a still. Stop. But you ha- I t- I'm not kidding. You have to zoom so far in and I just look like a brown haired girl. Like you can't tell it's me. Any podcast listeners can try and go find I that. someone 50 bucks if they can find me in that. If they find that, they are a VIP listener forever. The other thing I wanted to mention this week that I loved, I have been going on to you about this and I bet my bottom dollar you have not listened to it despite all my recommendations. What am I going to recommend? You're going to recommend the Cut podcast. Yeah, the Cut on Tuesdays. It is such a good podcast. In my defense, you told me not to listen because I had a run-in with a creep this yeah. week, and you told me that if I wanted to still look at the world with a positive, it just made me angry, and not in a way that I expected. It was just sort mm. of so. It's it's the Cut for those who don't know is New York Magazine's sort of female website that is very clever, and they just launched a podcast. And I didn't have very high expectations, though I love their writing because I think a lot of websites and news outlets now feeling like they need to jump on the podcast train and a lot of them aren't very well put together would you agree with that oh a lot of them are but a lot of them are just sort of like a roundup of the week that was and it's just not that interesting some of them are very weak some women's publications do killer podcasts totally but I think I think I just assumed maybe it was a last minute grab but it's done with Gimlet and it reminds me of This American Life a lot in that okay you know how This American Life is often split in three parts it reminds me just one of those parts and it's very female driven it is a really good episode this week. It's based on the shitty media men list in the US. Do you mm-hmm. remember that story? Yep. Um, I would very much recommend that. I am, I haven't loved a podcast in like that in a very long time. Interesting. Your week. <laughs> My week. Well, I just touched on it before and I'm guessing people will now want to know. I did have a run-in with a very creepy man on Wednesday when I was coming home from work. I had all of our podcast equipment with us and I was waiting for an Uber home because the podcast equipment 
weighs a lot, yes. as you know. Uh, and a man pulled off to the side of the road and basically was yelling out things to me. Not catcalling. This is like verbal abuse. Very gross language. It happened once and I didn't think much of it because we're women. We're conditioned to think that that will just happen to us mm. every now and then. How dare you go outside? Yeah. It got way more scary when he came again, pulled over to the side of the road again. And it looked like he was going to get out of his car and come over and speak to me until another man walked across the road and he drove around again. And then it happened a third time. And by the third time, I had my camera ready and waiting to get a photo of him. I don't know why. In the moment. 21st century, that's what you do, I think. You're conditioned to assume that that, like, pull your phone out, that's the only power that you have in that scenario. Yeah, exactly right. So I was hell-bent on getting his photo, which I did, which I then put on social media. Uh, Of course, 21st century again. Yeah, it was a really intimidating experience. And I was going to listen to the Cuts podcast that night but as you said it wasn't it's really funny because people that listen to your story and then listen to that podcast won't quite understand the link but I you were already very angry after that and I felt very angry after listening to one of their episodes about um how the year has gone since me too and I just thought if you don't want to add to the anger don't listen to it yeah that was a good idea so I will listen to the cut next week but that did rattle me a lot apart from that I've been reading Man Repeller so much and I know I'm late on the bandwagon here because... (laughs) Why this week? Was there a piece that got you in? No, I think I've just been finding myself increasingly across the weeks and months this year wanting content that isn't heavy and wanting content that's smart and wanting content that is long. And the thing I love about Man Repeller is it is quite lengthy. Every piece... And it really goes deep and it's not like a 300, 400 no. word story. They're personal essays that are long often. Yes, exactly right. The only thing, uh, I mean, for anyone who hasn't come across it before, it's a really good website basically for pop culture, Well, it's, a, it's rooted in fashion, yes, but they style. sort of extend beyond that. Yeah, exactly. So there was a great piece this week talking about why it's okay to love the royals, which I really enjoyed. It basically spoke about how consuming royal content can almost be a glass of wine for you it's a it's a form of self-care that when life is really busy and things are really frantic engaging with celebrity news or royal news can feel like a weight is lifted from you how do you feel about their headlines because i love man repeller content and i love reading their long-form essays but i often feel like the headlines don't do the pieces justice and i am less inclined to click in but then i feel because i have a long history of reading the site i give pieces a shot yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that's really accurate. I My biggest gripe with it is that the writing is slightly too florid. Mm. It's very intricate wordy. and wordy. And sometimes I feel like the author is, or the writers are trying to show how clever they are. <laughs> yeah, but in saying that, I feel like I'm sometimes guilty of that. <laughs> As a writer, I think a lot of writers are, but I do agree with you. Yeah, but I do really love Man Repeller. I think their content's really marvelous compared to a lot of other websites so i've been reading a crap ton of that at the moment apart from that i haven't been consuming a whole lot of other content i've been really busy working and i don't want to pretend that i've been reading all these incredible long essays and i haven't all this intelligent content because i've actually been exhausted to the point Mm. where when i have a free moment i'm either napping or i'm watching shitty youtube videos well that's when i found about my mental state going into a star is born is i don't think i picked a good week for it I have been so burnt out this week and I was already so exhausted and then we just sort of decided to go because, like I said, I felt felt a responsibility to to jump on the bandwagon, Um, which probably made the whole movie a lot sadder. But Mm. having said that, I've been binging the um, soundtrack like everybody else in the world because I'm a little bit basic like that. Before we go on to Kayla It Signs... It signs. I mean, it's seen us. Michelle has called Kayla at Cenus. It signs for the last five years. So she's going to struggle through this, but onwards. My apologies. Did you see the listener that said our accents were sexy this week? Yeah, I couldn't think of anything less accurate. I don't find your voice sexy at all. She, I, don't I think find the listener. Sexy. I think the listener who said that wasn't Australian. Australian. Of course, no Australian's going to find an Australian accent sexy. I think we both sound like absolute bogans. So do I. But beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Mm. That's what they say. There you go. Kayla at Cenas is where we're starting, though, today, just to move it along. She was named the, I guess, the youngest, richest woman in the country in the least elegant way to put it. Yeah, I'll put it the uh, journalistic way. Please do. She was listed on the Australian Financial Review's Young Rich list for 2018. So Kayla at Cenas and her partner, Toby Toby Pierce, who is her fiancé, are worth, drumroll, $486 million. 
I have a lot of questions about this, namely how the AFR actually do the maths. Oh my God, I have an answer. Do you? Yes, I spoke to someone in PR about this this week. Apparently, they approach you with kind of like a rumoured figure of what you're supposedly worth. So you can just say yes or no? Yes. So you say yes or no and some people opt out because they don't want the public knowing how much they're worth. Why wouldn't you inflate that? Well, this is a really – no, you have to then prove it. Okay. If you say how much you're worth, you have to then give financial proof. Of course, I don't know why. I just assumed they would take their word for it. No, you have to prove it. I find this to be a really fascinating PR move that someone like Kayla Itzinas wants the public to know that she's worth $486 whereas someone like Tammy Hembrow, I feel like would be on this list – and yet probably said no or other influencers would have turned it down and said, you know what, I don't want the public knowing that information about my bank account. Well, I think it depends on brand. Tammy Hembrara is far more influencer than Kayla Ritzinas is. Kayla Ritzinas is not known as much for her personality like Tammy Hembrow. It's a business and I think it's a clever move for them to put their wealth on there. Whereas if your brand is sort of being one of the people, having a $500 million bank account is not really going to help you along. I... I have, I've been so interested in this and I know that you have too, given the nature of their relationship and how Toby Pierce in particular has hit the headlines in the last few years for not the most positive things. And, and that hasn't seemed to affect their business at all. Yeah. Well, the evolution of Kayla It Science. Oh, she's struggling. Jesus <laughs> Christ. Fuck. Kayla Itzinas has been fascinating because she does go from strength to strength. Mm, she has literally. grown year on year since probably, what, 2012, 2013, when she first came onto the scene. And that's despite Toby Pierce being charged and fined for reckless driving and prescription drug possession. He was caught in 2016 driving recklessly. I think it was in Adelaide where they are both from. Yeah, it was. And it was found that in his car he had prescription drugs, which he didn't have the prescription for, that are often used by steroid users to offset side effects of Mm. steroids. So – That type of thing is obviously very damaging to a brand. And then on top of that, he has been shamed multiple times for parking his $500,000 Lamborghini in disabled parking spots all around the city. This part gets me too because it speaks so much to ego. There have been so many posts on social media of his Lamborghini just not but just being parked in disabled car parks, which is obviously the worst part, but just cross bays Mm -hmm. and parking bays, which is the most arrogant thing you can do. And it, it hasn't hit her at all. We talk a lot about... This idea of sexually transmitted ethics, which which you got from Dr. Lauren Rosewarn, which is the idea that a woman's reputation is often very neatly tied to her her husband or her partners. But I wonder if it comes back to this same thing that I just said, where her brand isn't her personality, so we don't really care as much. Her brand is that app and being fit, and that's all we're really interested in. Yeah, she doesn't really let people into her life as much as no. other celebrities and other influencers. She doesn't show her face. No, that's, it's a really interesting technique, I think, to cover her face in photos, and I think that seems... Uh, silly or it seems frivolous to really look into that, but I think it's quite deliberate. I think it's very deliberate to cover her face in that her body and the aesthetics of her body and her fitness is the message. She is not the message at all. Her life and her personality, exactly as you said, is not part of the sweat app. It's not part of the bikini body guide. And by doing that, she becomes more universal. You don't associate her as a person. You associate her as the body that everyone wants. Which I think is the most clever thing you can do as a woman in the public eye, to be very cynical about it, because any personality traits we're going to take issue with, as we often talk about on this podcast. So as much as I would love women to be known for their personalities it's it's in the business sense this is probably the best thing they could have done especially in the health and fitness industry we did a big story on her and when I say we when I was at Mamma Mia last year I wrote the story and you edited it on um, Kayla ripping customers off. And I also found it very interesting. I'll put this in the show notes too, that there are a lot of disgruntled customers who were young women who felt very ripped off by that business. That also didn't have a dent on them, which is how how big that business is, I think, that that a story about a lot of young women feeling very disgruntled by their dealings with the business just didn't have an impact. Mm, I think Kayla and Toby have really fantastically adapted their business according to the zeitgeist Mm, because she was originally the bikini bodyguard, BBG. That was the major message to everyone that if you want to get fit for summer, you need to buy Kayla Itzinas' bikini bodyguard. And I think she really 
perfectly timed the transition from that into sweat, which is her new app and it's her entire fitness plan, I guess, is called Sweat. It's not called Bikini well, Body it's Guide like, it's anymore. It's a total rebrand of what the product is. Exactly. So she really looked at society and went, okay, it's not really a great look anymore to be telling women that a bikini body is a size six toned body. And to then move away from that at the timing she did, I think was the smartest decision that decision they could have made it's really interesting that we say she jumped on this early but i do think she jumped on it early i think she released the sweat app in 2016 it was the highest grossing app of 2016 on apple and given our conversations now that is pretty early to look forward and be like this is not going to work but in all our talk about i think brand and and how they've managed to sort of be such a force to be reckoned with we often forget the one thing that really matters and that is having a product that works and that in this day and age, even still, word of mouth is the most powerful marketing you can probably have. And I don't know a person that does Kayla and hates it. People find it very hard, but nobody, nobody I've ever met says it doesn't work. And it's so 2018 or it's so of the moment that you can have a fitness trainer or a personal trainer in your pocket on your phone. It's incredibly convenient and it's incredibly affordable for young women who potentially can't pay for personal training sessions or pay for a gym membership. So she's very, very clever. I'm surprised that Toby Pierce's behavior hasn't penetrated her armor Mm. more, but power to her. And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we bring you five stories from the rough and tumble of the news cycle. Michelle, what have you got this week? Hello, guys. I'm here and I'm ready to go. <laughs> where, where did you go? <laughs> oh, we'll just, move on from that. Just roll into it, please. My first story, David Schwimmer somehow finds himself caught up in UK police probe. That is from Mamma Mia. The silliness of the internet on days like this does really make me happy. This story made my week. For anyone who missed it, uh, UK police, I'm not quite sure what area of the UK, you can use your imagination. (laughs) Just guess. Released CCTV footage of a man stealing a whole bunch of cans of beer and sent it out into the internet to which the entire internet decided this looks like Ross from Friends. It does though. So Ross from Friends, aka David Schwimmer, then took it upon himself to recreate the CCTV footage and it's on Twitter and I think it's got like 500,000 likes or something It'd ludicrous. Be, yeah, it's been huge. It's been everywhere. Yeah, it's amazing. I highly recommend you go and watch it because it's just, it's nostalgic as well because I miss Friends so and I. I miss Ross from Friends. I miss other characters more, but that's fine. Okay, next one. <laughs> <laughs> the Bachelorette's Charlie Newling breaks his contract by flaunting his romance with Bachelor star Dasha Gavaronsky before the finale as they're spotted on another public date. That is from Daily Mail. These photos are very funny because they're very set up. Who walks along the beach in exercise gear on each other's backs or on each other's shoulders? It's actually so stupid. How stupid do these people think we are? Like, guys, come on. I know you're probably getting $700 or something from the Daily Mail (laughs) paps to set this up. That's true. It's easy money. Yeah, he's going to get more when he gets sued by Channel 10 for breaking his contract. And when I say get more, I meant lose more. He's he's the least likable character on this franchise in quite a long time. I can't cast judgment too much because I haven't watched it that much. But in saying that, this says to me that only a kind of bitter or unhinged kind of person, maybe Michelle just pissed herself when I said unhinged, but truly what kind of bitter person is going to ruin the the outcome of the show before it's done when you're bound by contract? It'll be fascinating. If he's in the final two, I'll be very pissed off that he's ruined this for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's very unlikable. As I said before on the show, perhaps he's nice in person. I feel like I always have to preface everything I I say with that. So if if anyone's coughing flack, he's evil. If anyone's coughing flack after this segment, it's me. No, Charlie really needs to chill out. He's very possessive. He's not just protective, he's possessive. I think well, that's the best way I can put it. And there are major red flags. Every time he opens his mouth or does anything on that show, I'm like, oh. And this fits the narrative to me because someone who is possessive also is quite bitter. Yes. <laughs> Number three, there's a massive secondhand fashion market on Bayside this weekend. That is from Urban List. Care to explain? 
Yes. So I, I'm curious about your thoughts on this because I've mm. kind of done a 180 on it. Have you? So there is a market, obviously, in Bayside this weekend. In Melbourne. In Melbourne, where influencers from the area can sell their clothes to the public. And it's it's very thinly veiled that they're obviously selling on the clothes that they've been given for free. Because they're calling them new clothes. New or worn once or tags still on, that type of stuff. Like, where is this? where are all these clothes coming from? We're not stupid. What do you think about that? I think that they should donate them and not sell them to, on to young girls. Yeah, I get that. My <laughs> That's all I think. My thing is that a lot of influencers aren't all that well off, in my opinion. Yeah. And I think a lot of the influencers that are named as being at this fashion market don't have that much money, probably. They're probably given a whole lot of free stuff. But like mm-hmm. Tully Smith has said in the past, she's been given free vacations, free clothes, but she hasn't been able to pay her rent. She hasn't been able to help her parents out. She's been living under her mum's roof, all that type of just stuff. Just an unpopular opinion. Get a job. Yeah, I get it. But I, I'm just not super angry. Like, I think there angry. are better ways. I think in an ideal world, these women would donate their clothes to women's shelters or potentially they'd do other things with them or just give them to friends and family yeah. for free. I do think it's a bit opportunistic. But at the same time, if you want to go and make money out of this and none of the brands are angry, I am surprised that the brands wouldn't be frustrated. Cause well, influencers- what's the bet that when they advertise this on social media saying, come down, they're not allowed to show any of the clothes because they'll not, it'll look like they're selling it on and that's a very bad look. Yeah, well, it's just not great for the brands who are sending out all this free stuff to them, thinking it's going to end up on their Instagram or end up wherever. And instead, it's just going towards the public at a cost. Yeah, it's bizarre. I'm not I'm not fired up about it. I just it just makes me uh, roll my eyes. I think it's a very interesting move for girls to actually come forward because a couple have a few big name influencers have come forward and said, "Yes, I'm doing this." Interesting move. I don't think that's very clever. I don't think they've thought that far ahead. Okay. Quick cash is easy cash. True. Kendall Jenner posed in an afro and people are mad. That is from InStyle. This story has been on my radar a lot this week. So Kendall Jenner posed in Vogue with a, I don't know if Afro is the right way to call it, if I'm perfectly honest. People said straight away that Vogue should apologize for cultural appropriation because of Afro. And I'll be the first person to um, to push that narrative as well when people are culturally appropriating things from minorities. However, what I find very interesting is I saw a bit of commentary on Twitter after this that it wasn't cultural appropriation. And this is sort of what outrage porn looks like. There was a great tweet um, that said, FYI, this is what outrage promotion slash marketing looks like. No real conversation was happening around her hair or her Vogue editorial in general. News outlets will tell you there is one in an effort to create buzz because they know politics is, quote, in. I totally agree with that. Two or three tweets now is kind of the only thing you need to make a story. Even Diet Prada wasn't on this bandwagon. They said that the hairstyle was very clearly from the Edwardian area, which suited the fashion um, editorial of the magazine. Um, but I just did find it very interesting that that you can sort of jump on this bandwagon straight away. Yeah, and I think news publications are in it now for clicks purely, particularly yeah. online news publications. So as soon as one or two people, as you said, says anything, and they can be the biggest idiots in the entire world going online. They can be massive trolls and digital publications know what they're doing. They know when they write those stories that they're making a story out of nothing because they probably need to boost traffic that day. But the sad flow on effect from that is, is that we start having these meaningless hollow conversations about things that should never have been controversial to begin with. And I think that's when the definition of fake news comes in, because I know when a TV show might debut and I know that there are a couple of Australian big news websites that have done this before and they might just have a vendetta. I remember when Channel 10 did that sort of promo week and they had, I think there was a couple of news sites that didn't very much like Sam Dastiari, who grabbed a couple of tweets online. It was probably two or three tweets said the show bombed with public opinion and then the ratings came out and it did quite well mm. so i think don't bleed everything you read well it's like m rusciano remember how they all got this vendetta against yeah. m and at the beginning of this year she 
found herself at the top of news.com.au and Daily Mail and all those publications because it seemed like they all had a bit of a bee in a bonnet in their bonnet and about her. And you can her. craft any story you want if you grab commentary on Twitter. You yeah. can find anything you like. I mean, obviously, we're not black women, but I didn't see this as an Afro. I agree. I think it was from the Edwardian era. No, that's true. And we should be clear about that because we are white and we are still casting judgment on this. But in saying that, there are a lot of people that are coming out saying it's it's not as sort of hard and fast as, yeah, as lots of women of color came out and yeah. condemned this yeah. story. So I think we can take their lead. My last story for today's Quick and Dirty. Jackie O announces split from husband, says they'll remain best friends. That is from news.com.au. As they all do. Yeah, another sugary celebrity divorce announcement. I mean... Nah, if you, I actually have to say, if you've got children, I think it's a little different because they're going to be reading this on the internet for years to come and to have an amicable divorce publicly is, I guess, quite important for children. So I agree. And I think people saw this coming, right? There's been a bit of speculation about not only her marriage, but the marriages of other women in commercial radio for quite a long time. I think news publications look quite closely at how often, even little things like how often they attend events together. Well, also their their job description is to share parts of themselves on the radio. And the minute exactly. they're not sharing as many stories, it's sort of a few red flags are raised. They were together about 15 years, maybe more. So that never makes me happy to hear that. But Good luck to both of them. I I do like they're not being overly saccharine about it. I think they're just being realistic and positive for the sake of the kid. Yeah. See, it's weird. I don't respond to divorce announcements or separation announcements with any form of sadness, really, unless I was really attached to the couple. My parents have both split up. So I kind of just approach these type of headlines and be like, they probably didn't get along that well anymore. (laughs) Well, there you go. (laughs) That is all for the quick and dirty. Thank you so much. This week, model, reality star and influencer Elise Knowles released her very first book. According to the book's blurb, From Me to You sees Knowles share personal insights into her life, the world of modelling, her favourite tips on beauty, fashion, health and fitness and becoming the best version of you there is. She's certainly not the first, nor will she be the last model to offer tips to women on how to be successful. Mish, just to get straight into it, how do you feel about the genre of book where model tells you how to live best life? Um, you can see it on my face. Mm. I, I don't feel great about it. I think telling women to be the best they can be is amazing. I think telling anyone that they can improve their life or really being invested in helping people navigate all the shit that we have in our lives is, is admirable. I do like that. I think Elise Knowles' intentions are good. I am sure they are pure and wholesome. I am sure she is a lovely girl. But it is always worthwhile thinking critically about the content and messaging that we're putting out to women. And in this scenario, I'm not quite sure that the message makes a lot of sense to me. I've read parts of Elise's book. I got my hands on it this weekend. And I think my biggest problem is that Elise Knowles, despite how hard she works, and I'm sure she does, she's a model who is gifted an incredibly beautiful aesthetic appearance. And her career, which she admits has been 16 years in the modeling industry since she was a child, has been carved largely because of what she was given when she was born through no work of her own. And I think that's a really hard thing to swallow because I think models often talk about how hard they work and I'm sure they do. But at the end of the day, working hard does not get you a job in the modeling industry. Being beautiful and winning the genetic lottery gets you a job in the modeling industry. I agree with that. but And I agree we're going to find ourselves sort of coming to the same points in this segment. However, when we talk about the genetic lottery and only getting work because you work hard but also because you were born very beautiful, I think that we can have that conversation in extending to – the intelligence lottery or the sporting lottery. Absolutely. Some people were born with very intelligent brains. Combine that with hard work, well, there's your job. You were born with uh, an ability to kick a football. Combine that with hard work, you you there to find a job. My issue is not with um, people being born a certain way and finding success because of it because I think if we really spent time getting angry about that, we wouldn't sleep. My issue is how we influence young women and my issue is how often models choose to influence young women and when you're telling young women 
to love themselves and quit comparisons while on other pages putting photoshopped bikini photos of yourself. It is a very confusing message that makes no sense. Yeah, I think that's my main feeling about it as well. I love that Elise Knowles is telling women not to compare themselves to others on Instagram. I think if that's going to be her core message, if she wants that to be her legacy, then she really needs to start showing that in what Mm. she actually posts. You can't preach body love and acceptance when you are a key proponent of raising and promoting this mirage of perfection. It's really confusing to see someone come out and say, love the skin you're in and it doesn't matter what size you are and you can be beautiful no matter what and yet the only images on their page are of them at the one percent best mm. of their entire lives it's only their highlight reel and of course that is elise knowles's right she can go out and post whatever she wants on instagram but then it's a little bit confusing to write a book about taking away the veneer of her life and saying, look, it's not all this glossy and it's not all this perfect. I'm actually just a normal person and I have my ugly days and I have my bad days and I get bloated and all that type of Show stuff. them. Show it. It's like the Beyonce story in Vogue, no. I feel like. When Beyonce spoke about her fupa or the mummy pouch that she had after giving birth and lots of women came out and said, oh, my God, Beyonce, amazing body positivity. No, to me, if you really want to preach body positivity or if you really want to tell women, love the skin you're in, I love myself, yes, I'm flawed, but I'm I'm going to show you every aspect of my life, you need to actually physically show it. Beyonce should have come out and shown her fupa if she was going to preach body love about it. And Elise Knowles, to me, probably shouldn't have photoshopped photos throughout the entirety of the book and throughout the entirety of her Instagram page. If she wants to preach body acceptance, it doesn't make much sense. No, it doesn't. And I think it comes down to me to this age old concept of do don't tell. And I think when we talk about Instagram influencers or models or whoever it may be preaching this message, there is a huge lack of self-awareness in how they're going about that message. Jacinta Franklin has released a book the same of exactly the same substance. It's called To Live a Beautiful Life. Um, tips on eating right, creating goals and being successful. Miranda Kerr has done one called Treasure Yourself, which is about developing confidence, following your passion, um, how to be the best version of yourself as well. There are so many of these. But I think in this Instagram age, there's a real lack of self-awareness regarding how and why so many people get famous. And I really miss self-awareness because I think personally, and this is me projecting, but I think for me, self-awareness is the most attractive thing that somebody can have. I think these people, Elise Knowles, Jacinda Campbell, Jacinda Franklin, sorry, right now, Miranda Kerr, need to be self-aware in the access that their prettiness has extended to them. And that's what's lacking in all of this content. I'm not saying if you're a model, don't write a book. Write a book. I bloody love books. But write a book being self-aware. I think if we're going to talk about what kind of book they could have written, they should have found their niche. I think Noel should have written a book about renovating or reality TV. I think Franklin should have should have written a book on rebranding from beauty queen to businesswoman because that's exactly what she's done. I think Miranda Kerr should have written a book on reflecting on a Victoria's Secret time, but don't release a book saying that you're going to do it for young women when I actually think you're making young women more insecure. Yeah, I think... It's difficult to hop on the body confidence train when you're one of the people who has a hand in actively derailing that train. I think Elise Knowles' book, when I read it, it was great and I think a lot of her messaging was totally fine and totally on point. What she failed to do is acknowledge that she was born in one of the most privileged positions you probably can ever be, which is to be born beautiful she said that all white and white she said that all of her successes haven't come down to anything other than her hard work Mm -hmm. and I think that is a message that we often get in 2018 from famous women that I work harder than my competitors and that's how I get all my success and it's nothing to do with what I was handed by God or by whatever you believe is out there and I disagree with that and I think it really reminded me of a fantastic TED talk by Cameron Russell who was a Victoria's Secret model And she was saying that being born beautiful is a privilege, particularly in the case of models, and we have to acknowledge that. One of my favorite quotes from her was saying, I am the winner of a genetic lottery. It is a legacy that was built for me, and it's a legacy I've been cashing out on. I get free things because of how I look, not because of who I am. She then went on to say, it's difficult to unpack a legacy of gender and racial oppression when I am one of the biggest beneficiaries. 
I think it's exactly the same thing as us trying to sit here and say the reason that we do this podcast and that people listen to it is because we just work really hard. We do work very hard, but there is a lot of other stuff going on that gets us here. We were well-educated. We are white. We grew up in homes. We uh, grew up in Australia. There are so many factors that lead to somebody's success. And I think when we have conversations about success and when successful people have conversations about what, what got them to a certain point, often we are just told that it's hard work and that is it. And it is a little bit of a tough pill to swallow and false advertising. Absolutely. It's almost gaslighting people. It is To say, just work hard enough and you'll get there. Because the fact of the matter is, it's so much more complicated than that. And this is a really uncomfortable conversation to have. But the reality is that this is the world and the economy that we live in. Mm. That, yes, Elise Knowles is successful. But what her book didn't cover is that according to her manager, he organized for her to go on the block. He met with bosses at Channel 9. He negotiated the contract. He put her on that show. That's not a normal thing. We really need to acknowledge all of the privileges we have in life that put us on a platform that get us to where we need to go. We got this podcast probably because we were exposed to people in a job that we got probably because we were white, largely. Yeah. Because... So many other women in the world have not been afforded the privileges that you and I have. I went to a good school. I grew up in a very loving family. I have been given so much privilege across my lifetime. And while it would be great for me to sit here and say, I work harder than the competition, at the end of the day, even if that's true, which I'm not saying it is, I think I work hard, but I don't think I work an exponentially high amount compared to other women in the media industry. I think it all boils down to the fact that we are fetishizing hard work and there is a tendency for everyone to want to show how hardworking they are and how driven they are because there's such a currency in being a woman in your 20s and being a hard worker. The problem is though, I didn't create the part of me that's a hard worker. I was born- That's what I'm saying. You won the hard work lottery, whether that be because you were born into a family that really valued hard work or whether that's really inherent. I agree so much that we fetishize hard work. I think on Instagram, (laughs) I mean, Instagram is quite a narcissistic platform, if I'm to be honest. And I see a lot of people talking about how hard they work, not often or not always showing it and not showing the steps that lead them to get to where they are today. I'm not concerned with how someone finds fame. I'm not concerned with that at all. I am very concerned with what people do with that fame. So if we're talking about a model or an influencer, I couldn't give a shit how they grew their following unless they bought their followers. I couldn't give a shit where they modeled or what they've done, but I am concerned about what they do with it. Carly Kloss, of course, my love, is a great example. I think she is a Victoria's Secret model. She won the genetic lottery. She is beautiful and she walked catworks because of that. But what she's done with that fame is far more important. And I think that's the story that we need to be telling. I don't want anybody to misconstrue what we're saying in that a beautiful person can't open their mouth because that is not it at all. I think a beautiful person needs to be careful what comes out of their mouth. I absolutely agree. Everyone actually needs to be careful about what comes out of their mouth. I think while it's really helpful to tell women to love themselves and try their hardest, it would be more helpful to tell women, I have been incredibly lucky. Along the way, I've learned some stuff and here's what I'd like to tell you so that you can, when you encounter the same challenges, you can know how to grapple with it. It's not to tell them, love yourself, chase your dreams, you'll get whatever you want. Because no, why are we always aiming for these dreams? I think Something that I really have always loved is Tim Minchin's speech when he received an honorary doctorate at the University of Western Australia. Have you seen this? No, I haven't. This has had 3 million views online. And Tim Minchin is probably one of my all-time idols. I think his brain is genius. He is just marvelous in everything he does. And to anyone listening, I implore you to go watch this speech because I think this actually changed my perspective on life. So his quote that really stuck with me always is, I suppose I worked hard to achieve whatever dubious achievements I have achieved, but I didn't make the part of me that works hard. Understanding that you can't truly take credit for your successes, nor truly blame others for their failures will humble you and make you more compassionate. And I think that's it. It's a hard conversation to have, but at the end of the day, if we don't acknowledge our privilege more often, we are going to end up in a world that is not compassionate. We're going to end up in a world that is very capitalist, very competitive and very cruel to those who don't climb the ladder as fast as we do. It's patronizing. It's absolutely patronizing. And I don't want people to tell me to love my body or to love my life if they are not willing to show the flaws of their own first. I think you just need to walk the walk. If you're going to talk the talk, that's great. 
but show us. One in three Australian women will experience anxiety over the course of their lifetime. And yet, despite how deeply our lives are affected by consternation, true crime content is more popular than ever. While The Teacher's Pet sat in the number one spot on the podcast charts for months, Making a Murderer is back on Netflix and The Case of Kelly Lane is captivating ABC viewers. While we simultaneously quiver with fear, we actively seek out dark and depraved content. To consume popular culture in 2018 is to consume the stories of pretty dead women and the men who killed them. Zara, why do you think that is? Um, There's a few things, and I love how you just ask me some big absolute question and expect me to answer it in a single Always. sentence. Every week. I did find it interesting that the ABC released uh, a survey in the last couple of weeks and they have done this for the third year running now. It's their annual podcast survey that revealed that almost half of podcast listeners listened to true crime in the past month, which was up from 30% the year before. But more than that, it was women who were listening to it. Women increased their listening of true crime by 15%. So that's that's the base of what we're talking about here. This is not just anecdotal saying that all our friends are interested in true crime. Why is that? This is stats saying that women are listening to true crime more than anything else. And I think it comes down to a few things. Firstly, it must be a, a thing about control. We are taught from a really young age to live in fear that things might happen after dark or during the day. We are told that this world is not built for us because it's not safe for us. And I wonder if we listen to this stuff in order to hear what other women go through so as a, as a strange, misguided way to protect ourselves, if that ever happens. I think that's absolutely it. Yeah. I think... When my anxiety, and I know I've spoken about it on the podcast, I don't think I don't want people to think I'm always constantly talking about my own mental health, but it is important <laughs> to this particular topic. Mental health porn. <laughs> Sorry, that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> I think when my anxiety was at the absolute worst, which I've written about it before, but basically I couldn't leave my apartment. I couldn't function. I was a absolute ball of mess and tears and stress and worry. And when my anxiety was at that level, I voraciously consumed true crime. I was obsessed with true crime content. My psychologist's biggest concern for me when I began seeing her was how much I was consuming this type of content. And I was doing it exactly as you said, to protect myself. I developed this belief that the more I knew about how women died and how the men killed them, the more I'd be able to protect not only myself, but the women in my life from those mm. same things. And it was a weird relationship because as I was watching it, I felt horrible and I felt scared, but I also felt so intrigued and so viscerally excited by what I was watching in a really sickening and weird way now that I think about it. But it got to the point where the podcasts and the TV shows and the stories that I was reading were so dark that I began to see darkness at every corner. Well, I wonder if it's a bit of uh, a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy in that we're told the world is dangerous for us and a lot of men probably don't understand the kinds of things that we're thinking when we're leaving the house. And then the more we're listening to this stuff, the more we're reminding ourselves of why the world's so terrible. And of course, we're not crazy. Yeah. Well, it's almost like we're constantly told that these faceless men will jump out of the shadows and grab us. And it's not that unusual then that we want to see the faces and yeah. we want to familiarize ourselves with the men who do this stuff as a protective mechanism. I have to say, I don't listen to it. I listen to Serial, but I think that's the only true crime podcast I ever listened to. And I listened to that because I felt a responsibility to jump on the bandwagon like I did on The Star Is Born. And I did find that a very compelling story more than anything. And my interest was more injustice, not crime. I I actively avoid it. I'm, I've been trying to work it out. I think the truth of the matter is stuff keeps me up at night. A lot of stuff keeps me up at night that absolutely shouldn't keep me up at night. I stress and I worry. And I think I resent my own ability to be a glass half empty kind of person, which might surprise people because then I, I actively avoid things that might make me feel negative. So I kind of come across as this blind optimist. Yeah. I think the best way my psychologist ever put it was, 
it is a media diet in the same way we focus so heavily on what we put into our mouths and how we exercise and all of the other type of diets that we focus on. We don't really focus on what we feed our brains. And the more we feed our brains dark content, the more it gears our brains towards thinking that the world is a dark place. So I actively avoid dark content now. Since seeing my psychologist, I only consume uplifting or helpful content that I feel like can really help me understand my place in the world or how to help or navigate my way through. But if something is overly seedy or dark, I avoid it. That said, I did watch the case of Kelly Lane. Not, I think the reason I enjoyed that is because it's a mystery and I'm actually curious as to what happened. There isn't a body. Mm. No one knows if the if this child is dead. No one knows if there was even a murder. It's a mystery. Yeah, so it's different. I hate with a passion now anything that involves a dead woman's body and what the man did to it and looking at the gruesome, gritty details of that murder. I absolutely hate murder stories. Well, this is what gets me and, and people who listen to true crime might very much disagree with me, but I don't understand what great kind of purpose they serve these days. Apart from series where they're trying to actively rewrite the course of justice, whether that be The Teacher's Pet or Kelly Lane or Serial I don't understand what rehashing gory crimes does for anyone, especially the victims and the victim's family. I think that we lose or the victims lose their sense of humanness in this kind of story where they just become characters that we have no sense of empathy for. If that was my family, if one of my family members or one of my friends died in very horrific circumstances, I would be ropeable if people were consuming that death for entertainment. I would be absolutely ropeable. Yeah, like binging on their murder. And it's a sad fact, but I'm sure the majority of people could name the men involved in making a murderer rather than Teresa Holbach, the woman who died. So I totally agree with you. I do feel uh, like I understand people who love true crime content. I don't want anyone to think that we're talking about you guys as if if you love true crime content, you are inherently weird or sick or whatever. No, because you're one all. of the, you're the majority. You are Everybody's the absolute majority. It. And I found a really interesting piece in the New York Times on this from Jess Skolnick, who was a domestic violence victim and is obsessive about true crime. And she wrote, those of us who have experienced violence and find refuge in true crime are looking not for closure, but for empathy, for understanding, for a world that doesn't turn its back on the day-to-day violence that exists and that is less freakish than banal. I agree with that because I do think there's an empathy factor that come in here. Women are more empathetic, I think, than men. We are emotionally invested in the outcome because we feel like it could be us. And that's where the empathy comes in, just to come full circle. It's not that maybe we aren't more empathetic with everything we do, but we're more empathetic in these kinds of scenarios because we think, what if that was me? There was a great piece in the LA Times by Megan Abbott. We both read this. Did you read this too? Was it about true crime novels? Yes. Yes, okay. So she had a great paragraph where she said, in the last few years and especially in the last few months as the Harvey Weinstein and associated scandals have dominated headlines, I've come to think of true crime books as performing much the same function as crime novels, serving as the place women can go to to read about the dark, messy stuff of assault, troubled family lives, conflicted feelings about motherhood, the weight of trauma, partner violence, and the myriad of ways a justice system can fail and silence women. That also kind of nails it because like we said, we're not talking anecdotally here. Women are overwhelmingly listening to true crime and there has to be a reason for that. And I think it has to be all of these things together. Yeah, I totally agree. I think... It's very telling as well that lots of the female victims at the heart of these stories are exactly what we said in the last story. They're white. Mm. We don't really speak much about Hispanic or black or Asian victims. Even in the Australian news cycle, I'm sure we could rattle off female victims of violence in the last 10 years. And I'm sure the vast majority of those women are white, despite the fact that plenty of women of color have died in Australia at the hands of men in the last decade. I I don't know their names and I'm guilty of that. And the media is guilty of that, that we look at these women, particularly pretty white women, and we think that's a story. And it's sad, but that's the reality of true crime content. And I don't see that changing for a long time. And it's reflective of a quite prejudiced society that we live in. Well, I think it's true because you think about Serial and everybody could name Adnan Syed. A lot of people probably would have forgotten Heyman Lee's name, which was the victim at the centre of the entire story. I, I don't think I'll ever consume 
true crime like anybody else does and I think it's for exactly the reasons that we just said that that we sort of actively don't let it in so that we can survive but I don't think that these stats are going to change for as long as women don't feel safe in their own world or for as long as women don't feel like their their pain or their fear is recognized then they're going to voraciously consume this content sort of as an outlet. Yeah. What do you think about things like making a murder art that focus on a woman like Teresa Holbach without her family's permission? I am very conflicted about things like this because I think there is something to be said for a series that is really trying hard to uncover wrongful conviction or whether the police did the wrong thing. Maybe maybe this is a case where there is a, a greater purpose where people are hurt, but at the end of the day, I don't know if that is right either. I don't actually know what the right answer is. Yeah, it just feels like a particular form of cruelty that not only this family had their daughter and their girlfriend and sister, whatever, taken away from them, but then they have her story erased too in favour of the man who potentially killed her. Well, it's it sort of comes down to who and what is the most important element of this story. Is it the victim or is it somebody wrongfully convicted of that murder? I I don't know what is more important. So you won't be watching Making a Murderer? I've watched the first two episodes. Have you? But I've been on my phone the whole time. There you go. I haven't watched the second season. I loved the first season, but I, as I said, I just... That's, I, actually, it's, it's not really productive. funny that you ask that because I, I have sat in front of a screen watching the first two episodes with my boyfriend, but I've consumed about 10 minutes of it. Interesting. So again, I'm still trying to actively avoid it, whatever I do. Yeah. But I, yeah, I'm not encouraged by the content in any way, shape or form. There you go. Sorry if you guys are. (laughs) Yeah, this is true. Come to the Facebook group, Shameless Celebrity Gossip, if you want to talk about this. Oh, I was wondering where you – I thought you had just jumped ahead two minutes then. No, because I want people to talk about this because I think we have been very hard on true crime and I want to know why people listen to it. Absolutely, yeah. If you do love true crime, please do come tell us and talk about it in the Facebook group. Please don't share any gruesome details because I will have a panic attack. (laughs) (laughs) But just tell us why you like it because I think there's a really important conversation to be had about women and true crime. Absolutely agree. I think that's all we've got for – this episode agreed thank you so much for joining us for episode god knows what number now because we've accidentally mucked up the count because we fucked it up before we go we're in little independent podcasts if you love us please help us out the first thing you can do is click subscribe on apple podcasts that helps new listeners find our show every single week you are also more than welcome to come and, like we said, join the Facebook group Shameless Celebrity Gossip or come and find us on Instagram at Shameless Podcast. We would love to see you in both of those places. Yeah, and we're going to start doing more like video content and we're going to start putting more stuff up on those social channels for you guys. So if you want to catch up with us during the week, we might start doing like Facebook Lives and Instagram videos and stuff like that. So if you want to catch up with us, definitely hop in those groups and we can start putting more content out. That's it for now, though. We will see you next week for episode God knows what. For <laughs> yeah. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse, if you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one. That's about it. (laughs) Bye, guys. Love ya. See ya.